and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and what a way to start your Friday. As Arlo White kept reminding us, the U.S. women's national team squeaked past the Netherlands in their Olympic quarterfinal, courtesy of some very well-taken penalties. We're going to talk about those and a whole bunch of other stuff. Here to help me do so are two wonderful people. First up, my friend and yours, a person who loves it when the U.S. scores an absurd number of goals that don't end up counting. It's Jordan Angeli. Jordan, <laughs> have you had time to catch your breath after that uh, result? I, I'm actually shocked that they yep. scored nine goals that haven't counted in this tournament. Um, credit the other team, but wow. Uh, I, I feel like I have like a little bit of an anxiety hangover mm-hmm. right now. There's just, um, I mean, you mentioned something to me before we even started. I don't even remember that happening. So um, we'll see how this goes. It was emotional. It <laughs> really Friday. was. Yeah, happy Friday to you. It was very emotional and very... Like, simultaneously, like, I understand why this is happening, but also this isn't supposed to be happening. And so it, it, it was just a, a strange world to see the U.S. women sort of struggling to take control of the game, I think, for large chunks of it. We'll obviously talk about why that was the case, if that was the case, if we all agree. But we should also introduce our other co-host uh, today as a person who, I'm assuming, has at least 10 minutes of material on the importance of Julie Ertz, or if not, he should. It's Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. <laughs> I do. Do you want me to start that routine now, or should yes, we do that later? Breath. Or what do you feel in Taylor? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, take a deep breath, and then there can be no other breaths until you finish what you have to say about Julie Ertz. And when we hear the thud of your head hitting the table we'll know right, that you're finished right. okay i uh, know we we won't start right with julie ertz although i do have a thought uh, on her very early because i think she told us a little bit about what the united states was doing because with no crowd noise you could hear a lot of the yelling and she was doing plenty of it but i think we should start with the overall uh like basically the basic approach to this game for both teams first off i just want to confirm something that i have not checked this was the quarterfinal right yes all right just making sure (laughs) got a little nervous there okay so we have the united states versus the netherlands obviously a rematch of the 2019 women's world cup final a fairly familiar team for the united states a fairly familiar shape the dutch in i would say a similar shape to what we saw in that women's world cup final but jordan it looked more like a 4-2-3-1 from the dutch uh who sort of stood out to you in the opening minutes did you see anything in particular they were doing in attack or on defense yeah I would say it did look like a 4-2-3-1 but wouldn't you say at moments it looked like they were they had a two front as well yeah because they pushed one of their midfielders high a lot of the times I felt like that was Martins who was right next to Miedema and and picking up balls um well not just from the start I thought Vandedonk was just so good in this game mm-hmm. and and shows you why she's one of the, the best midfielders. Um, but I felt like one of the things that the Dutch did really well is they made the U.S. have to play through them. Mm-hmm. And they sat in this block that was, I thought, looked like just that. You know, a lot of the times when people sit in a mid block, it's a four four two block defensively. And theirs looked like a 4-2-3-1 block with pressure from Miedema up front and then this line of three players that made it difficult for the U.S. to play through into their midfielders. Is that what you guys kind of saw? That's definitely what I saw. And I saw even that like that midfield three, that attacking three, mm-hmm. or the central midfield two, either the, the attacking three would drop a little bit deeper or the uh, central two would step higher. And so sometimes when the U.S. has come up against an opponent like that, there are still those gaps between the lines. And Jordan, I'm with you that I think the way the Dutch set up, it really limited the space through the middle. The U.S. Yeah. tried to find some passes and I think turned the ball over and from there seemed content to attack uh, down the channels more often than not. Joe, does all that vibe with what you saw? 
Absolutely. And it's, I think it's a sound defensive approach from the Netherlands to clog the middle, force the U.S. wide, like we're saying, mm. and then live with crosses. And the, the crossing, to the U.S.'s credit, in this game, I thought was the best we've seen in the tournament so far. There was more support out wide. They were able to deliver the ball from more narrow positions instead of just hoping and bending those crosses in from out wide. But still, if you're the Netherlands, you'll largely take that. And, and I think the 4-2-3-1 block was a good way to force the U.S. into those spots. I did think the U.S. was doing some interesting things defensively, uh, specifically what I saw from Tobin Heath, because uh, though she is playing, I think, on the left side, which disappointed me because I really wanted to see Lynn Williams on the left so we could get Lynn Williams versus Lynn Wilms, uh, the the Dutch (laughs) right back. That would have been very fun, but instead it was Tobin Heath. But I I thought that was it was interesting to see. Tobin Heath almost being like another like left-sided central midfielder at times and and almost the US in like a 3-3 three, three shape a staggered 3 shape when they would try to possess out of the back with Tobin Heath coming very deep and I think that was to give them more numbers to be able to play through but I think it was also because as we saw against Sweden when the United States would try to crowd over to one side and I think they did this later on in the game it left Crystal Dunn with basically the entire left side, sometimes the entire left half of the field to deal with. And uh-huh. as the game went on, I think we saw more of that occurring, and I think it's a big reason why the Dutch get more dominance as the game goes on. But early in the game, I thought Tobin Heath did a really good job of dropping back and doing the defensive work I think that was really needed to give the U.S. the platform to then build and have more sustained possession. So I think I'm saying, in, at least in the opening stages, even with the Dutch going ahead, I thought I saw some more positive signs and some sort of progress from what we've seen from the United States in terms of learning from vulnerabilities, identifying them, and then setting up to not allow those to be vulnerabilities anymore. Mm-hmm. Just to go off that first, you cracked me up with that because I was like, where is he going with this Lynn Williams comment? <laughs> um, that, was, that was really good. Um, I, I thought Tobin Heath was really awesome in figuring out where the space was because as we mentioned the setup, it was almost man for man then centrally because of the way that the Netherlands set up that their two deeper players took um, Mewis and Haran, and then Julie Ertz had a player almost around her the the entire time. And so what happened is I felt like when the U.S. was trying to build through the lines, when they would have Mewis or um, Haran pull back into one of those, into the channel where an outside back would be, or just a little bit deeper and wider, then they would try to engage that player, one of those lower defenders in the the midfield block and pull them out of that space. Well, then that opened up space for Tobin Heath to move inside and occupy the space centrally, or that opposite would happen. Heath would come into that space and then Haran would run in behind. So I think that there was, especially between those two, Heath and Haran, who, you know, they know each other for a long time. They've played on so many different teams together. Um, I thought their movement off of each other, especially in the first half, was really nice. I thought the U.S. in general was just the better team honestly, in the first half. They weren't Mm -hmm. exponentially better, but the Netherlands' goal comes against the run of play in that 18th minute, I would say. It's a beautiful strike from Adima, some individual defensive errors from the U.S. that that compound and lead to that goal and allow the Netherlands to go 1-0 up. The U.S. wasn't, you know, blowing the top off of this game, but they were in control of possession, not super sharp in possession. That's been a theme throughout this whole tournament so far. But they had the ball and they were pressing well. Jordan, I love how you detailed that 
the man-for-man-ness of the midfield pressure with the midfield three for the U.S. against really the midfield three for the Netherlands. And I, I think that was working well for them. They, they were able to step high, win the ball. They were winning a lot of those duels early on in this game and then able to attack from there. They get the couple goals as the first half progresses, and it feels like, okay, the U.S. is in a pretty good spot. And, and things were things were looking fine for the U.S. at that point. I thought, overall, this first half was maybe maybe their strongest half of the tournament against uh, this quality of opposition if we set the New Zealand game aside. I thought overall it was a pretty strong mm-hmm. start to the game from the U.S. Joe, I'm really glad that you identified some things there in the Dutch goal because I think I did have it more in my head as the Dutch being dominant. And I think g- genuinely I think part of that was because of the way Ola White and Julie Foudy were talking about them as as not being afraid of the U.S., as feeling like the U.S. were there for the taking. And they talked to different media personnel from from the Netherlands who felt like the U.S. could be beaten. And uh, Van de Donk with the kind of locker room talk about how – or the, the locker room material – not locker room talk, very different things there. Uh, <laughs> but locker room material about uh, how like the U.S. doesn't scare anybody anymore or whatever it was. And so maybe that bled into my thinking – because now that you say that, like I had it noted that Carly Lloyd, I, I think, overpursues in the build up to the goal. And then basically she overpursues the, the Dutch turn and play back the other way. But the U.S., I think, expecting Carly Lloyd's run to sort of seal off that side, everybody slides over. And when she gets cut out, now the entire weak side is vulnerable. And when it goes wide, it goes uh, to a, a position in which Lindsay Horan tries to make a challenge. I think it's, I think it is on Wilms. Yeah. And she. Again, over-pursues, Wilms cuts on her, and now you have two players taken out of the equation and the Dutch are able to go from there. But it is a trade-off because if the U.S. are trying to be intense in the way they're pressing and the way they're stepping and the way they're defending, ideally with Gagan pressing, you're not over-pursuing. The point is to put the pressure on but not be beaten in that 1v1. And so the U.S. maybe has some individual moments. But then if you if you back off, if you slacken off the way you're trying to step and cause problems, you do then change up your style and you're not going to be as aggressive in that press, which means it's going to be less effective. So I think I've, I've come around to when, maybe where both of you are, that though that goal is like sort of does identify some issues with the way the U.S. was trying to play, I think overall you can't really change some of that without changing a lot of other things. Things So credit to you all for being more positive than me at this point, because now I feel slightly better about that first half. Yeah. And just not a lot of people score that goal. Miedema's footwork (laughs) on the turn to bring it down and then to to get her left foot planted and swing her hips around. You guys, uh, Joe mentioned this in an earlier podcast. He always has me rate goals. This is an incredibly difficult finish. And she did it. It looked easy. Like, just such ease. And this is why she is going to continue to be one of the best, if not the best player in the world, is because she is so clinical in key moments. I, I genuinely don't know another player that can do that. <laughs> like, 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 I really, I run through the list of, like, even the, the, the best strikers that are at this tournament right now. And, like, Sam Kerr is an incredible goal scorer, but I think her, of her more as that, like, aerial threat. She finds a way to get a, go- a goal. Same thing mm-hmm. for Carly Lloyd. Same thing for Alex Morgan. Uh, like, Marta has the craftiness of the dribbling. But there's, there's something about, and I think it's her overall disposition just being so very stayed and calm that yeah, like steady. when she has those those little just like it's like 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 molasses-esque touches <laughs> that like just redirected here and, and a little bit there and it's just such tight technical precision I think it's just so impressive and I absolutely thought that like Kelly O'Hara 
just like failed to to get a chest on that one and i thought she I was like there we go that's the third time a u.s player over pursued and then i think on the third replay just that little touch to pull it back from Midama, uh-huh. and then as you said jordan to get around it and get the shot on frame let alone on the back of the net yeah pretty good goal pretty good work from the dutch uh, so then how do we see the u.s turning it around because from there it is more aggressive i think i had a couple moments where it felt like the u.s were rattled and maybe weren't expecting this to go the way it had. And so I saw some of that, you know, like, oh, I'm going to try to force a ball in, and it's 20 yards over hit. Or there's, like, the free kick, I think, when Julie Ertz tries to go for a disguise pass to Crystal, and you can hear her say, Crystal, as she starts her approach to hit the free kick, and Crystal Dunn stops and looks at her like, yeah, you said my name? And then she plays it into maybe 30 yards of space ahead of her. It rolls out for a goal kick. And right there I thought, like, ooh, this is not going well. I could see this getting as bad as the Sweden game did, and then it obviously did not. So do either of you have ideas on how the U.S. were able to pull this one back to get those two goals? Sure. Yeah, I think I think for me it does come down to the aggressiveness of the U.S.'s pressure. That did play a big part in this, and I guess I'm going slightly out of order here. But for Lynn Williams' goal, it's the U.S.'s you? second goal. It puts them ahead. Right after the first goal from Sam U.S. has happened, the, the, the sequence directly after that goal – the U.S. press. The Netherlands kick off and the U.S. press. They high press. They force a turnover on the right side. It's a throw-in for the U.S. at that point. And then Carly Lloyd earns a free kick. The U.S. move forward. They earn a corner. And then on that corner, it's Lynn Williams who, who uh, hits the ball in after it's been bouncing up in the air off of a couple of different heads. And she scores to put the U.S. up 2-1. to one. That intensity and that pressure early on in this game, even the first 30, 35, 45 minutes – the Netherlands were, were struggling at times to play through it, and the U.S. took real advantage of that. They're not this ball-dominant team. If we've, if we've seen one thing in this tournament that we could all agree on for sure, it's that the U.S. aren't a huge threat to break you down. If some team is sitting back in a block, it could be this 4-2-3-1 block. It could be Sweden's 4-4-2 block that was high and then would drop deep. The U.S. aren't a real threat to break them down. They don't have these well-coordinated off-ball patterns. Their spacing at times is very poor for possession play. But like we talked about in that Sweden game, or like we talked about after the Australia game, excuse me, if you really do push more towards the high-energy, direct, aggressive style, good moments can come from that. And it comes in the 31st minute, and it even comes on the Sam Mewis goal, where mm-hmm. it's Alyssa Nair throwing the ball out to Crystal Dunn. And the U.S. are going at this point. They're really moving. Then it's Dunn to Ertz, who dribbles forward, beats a player temporarily. Then Ertz plays it forward to Mewis, then wide to Williams. And then Sam Mewis makes this late-arriving run. Another thing that we talked about after the last game where the U.S.'s central midfielders in this game, it's Mewis and Haran, they're, they're really good at making those late-arriving runs. Maybe they shouldn't always be the players stretching the line in build-up or in possession deep down the field, yeah. but they can be the players adding that extra number in the box and really destabilizing an opposing defense when they're pinned back in their own 18. The stars were aligning for the U.S., and they, I think they were playing the best soccer that they've played, and it, it didn't end up really sticking like that for the second half and extra time, but there were some really nice, high-intensity, smart, aggressive moments from the U.S. as that first half wore on. Yeah. Just to go on to the first goal, because I, I noticed something, and I don't know if you guys remember, I don't have the, I don't have cable, so I have to watch the game like right <laughs> when it happens, and I can't replay, yep. but I wanted to know, I wanted to know where, so Dunn had the ball, it goes into Ertz, was Lindsay Horan low to the left, like did she come clear over to Crystal Dunn's side to clear that space, do you guys remember? Uh, so I, I think what happens, because I, I spotlighted Julie Ertz in this one, because yeah. she 
does a thing that like like Joey she she literally does the thing that last night I was talking about Kellen Acosta never doing and yeah. probably being told not to do which is she does a little feint she pulls a defender in and she cuts yes. the ra- around them I think Jordan to your question Lindsay Horan has come a little bit deeper me too maybe isn't like as on which I think is maybe why Julia Ertz is trying to kind of take the ball forward and then play it over if she can but because it's uh, Grunin who who steps to Julie Ertz and tries to cut off the pass to Sam Mewis and Ertz rather than forcing that or going backwards just kind of does that like yeah and it's that sort of it's like the sweeping maneuver there's a term for it that we we coined before but it's that thing where like your first touch is like one fluid one and you kind of sweep it across your body and then you continue to run like it's it's a Uh touch that carries the ball and then also allows you to turn your hips and move forward with it yeah and that's what Ertz does and then she plays in Sam Mewis and that sort of Little moment of, nope, I got to do something here. I got to make something happen, I think had been missing. And it's a type of play that only Julia Ertz can make. So I felt like, I know you talked offensively about what the U.S. did here, Joe. I think defensively, this was the one time in the first half that the U.S. caught the Netherlands in between a press and a block. Yeah. Yeah. It was like their front four were pressing so hard. You mentioned the the player pressing Julie Ertz was going hard to get pressure. And once you beat that line of pressure, it was just the back four retreating. Really. And and the player that was a little bit off of uh Sam Mewis. So I feel like they they caught them in between and this is where I think um we talk about the US and getting, you know, what type of style do they want to play? And I feel like sometimes they are so direct. If they can slow the game down a little bit, which with that touch, that's what Julie Ertz did, right? She slowed the game down, allowed things to develop and recognized, okay, well, now we can, you know, I don't know if this is her thought process, but now the space is in that that area of the field instead of just, okay, how quickly can we get forward? And I think... And I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, Jordan. No, 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 no. You, no. I was, I was going to play off what you said, but I think it's yeah, important play, for you play to finish. Yeah, play off of it. I want to hear what you say. Well, just that I think they're like, because sometimes when I think of a player slowing it down, because you're absolutely right, that's what Julie Ertz is doing in that moment. But I think oftentimes that then leads to she slows it down, she puts her foot on the ball, she plays the pass, the next player slows it down, and it slows down the whole tempo. And this is where slowing it down can then allow you to play faster, because she slows it down for that one second, plays that ball, and then it's... It's pass, pass, pass. It's a quick sequence, and you don't ever let the Netherlands get back into the shape they need to then play the defense they want to play. They're always in transition, and they're always scrambling, and then they're never in a sort of favorable way mm-hmm. to challenge in like the in the order that makes sense to them, basically. Because Ertz could have played that to Lynn Williams, right? Then yep. she would have gotten the ball. But like, would would the defense have been open in that way? Because she slowed it down, brought that, brought or got those defenders out of the way, and then played it into Mewis. I, I just feel like this is the, these are the moments, and I know that's a really small moment, but that's the difference between like pressing the game, which I was saying before, and actually understanding like, okay, I can get these people out, and I can feel the game, and I can get around this to defender, and then just look and analyze and play to where the space is and where our numbers are. And so I felt like that was a really good moment for the U.S. And it showed such composure, even though they were still getting forward in such a high-intensity way. Um, It did show a little bit of a different composure, I thought. And then we did see different looks from the U.S., I think, than we've seen before in this tournament because as I talked about I think with those wide attackers Arlo White spotlighted this in the 41st minute that the U.S. wide attackers are actually playing defense and so when they were 
dropping back. At, at this point, they're up two to one. Th- then you have the kind of channels covered. Your back four can be tighter and more central. So then you automatically have more cover there. But then if the U.S. midfielder, that midfield three, can stay tight through the middle because the wide attackers have come back, you have that sort of four five shape, but you've covered all the areas of the pitch. And, mm-hmm. and the Dutch basically have to change it up and rely on individual skill or potential overloads or potential unfair bounces is what I'm calling them, and then the craftiness of Miedema to get the equalizer. Because that was a fairly fortunate sequence. I, I feel bad for Abby Dahlkemper that the ball kind of comes off of her, then she tries to close, but I think because of the way it rebounds, she's then trying to kind of make up ground and she can't. Julie Ertz has to close. She gets magged. Alyssa Nair definitely sees it very, very late, and it's 2-2. And it's it's a great opportunistic finish for Miedema, but I think it goes back to it's an opportunistic moment. It's a fortunate moment for the Dutch, and it is a, a kind of momentary breakdown for the United States. And so overall, I think I come away from this conversation feeling better about the first half and the way the U.S. sort of fought back and then controlled the game for the most part. And obviously that equalizer coming in the second half makes me feel even better about the first. Uh, Should we move on to that second half or do you all have anything else you wanted to get to from the first? Bring us forward, baby. All right. I will bring us forward since I already talked about that second goal. Miedema, very good. You heard it here first. Uh, I will (laughs) instead take us to where I think the game really changed. And we saw the same 11 to start the half. And I think we saw some of the same problems for the United States. But not glaringly so. I think Vlatko wanted to get maybe more attacking control of the game or maybe get the U.S. on the front foot and felt like the Dutch had been... Sort of, I think he thought they'd been pressing more than they had and were maybe more tired than they were. And so I think the triple change in the 58th minute is designed to put on more just out and out attackers to make the Dutch have to do a more defensive job. And that becomes their emphasis. And then they stop sort of being this proactive attacking team. But I think anytime you have a triple change, it's going to change up the flow. And for the next like five to six minutes, it's just a lot of head tennis and long balls and stoppages of play and there's no rhythm. Then you have Megan Rapino come on, which I will be honest and say in my notes at that moment with Tobin Heath coming off, I had it as that was a mistake. I didn't think that that was the best idea because the U.S. had been so reliant on what Heath was doing defensively and the way those wide players were getting back. I didn't feel like Megan Rapino was going to do that as much. I wasn't sure about Kristen Press, but I think in the end I saw that sort of vulnerability as the gaps started to open up. Uh, Am I being too critical of these adjustments, or were you all equally concerned about what you saw from uh, at least the substitutions when they happened? For the Heath Rapino one, I wrote, why did you make this change? There we go. There we go. All right. I felt like Heath was one of the best players in the game. Yeah. I really did, because she was playing more centrally. She almost looked like a, a... second like a number 10 because i think mm-hmm. Haran and us were playing these eight role or yeah these eight roles and with Ertz behind them and then it was almost this diamond where you could use lynn williams yep. on the right side and there was more uh, the dynamicness of their attacks came from the different lines that they had i think we talked in the last game about how they were all flat across the back line this had more layers and i think heath provided those layers in the attack and then yeah. to mention all those things that you said defensively i do not get that change but that's the second of the changes um and i'm just curious joe when you're looking at those those three changes is there would you have done all those three at once if not who were the ones that you maybe would change and bring in at that moment because i don't think the timing was wrong to bring in a change or two changes i just don't i don't know bringing all three in if that helped 
Yeah, and it's early as well. And it right. feels like in a game where you're – it's very possible that you could go into extra time. and You're going to need 30 more minutes there. It feels like, okay, we're not even at the halfway point of what this game could be in the 58th minute. And so maybe – Maybe the idea is, okay, we're really going to go for it. And, and some of these changes, at least the Rose Lavelle change, I actually think makes a lot of sense because getting some more energy in central midfield is a useful thing. And for me, to quickly backtrack here a little bit in the timeline of this game, I actually thought the U.S. started to fade very quickly at, at the start of the second half, even the end of the first half. The Netherlands started to find space in midfield and play through them and tuck a winger in or bring Medima deeper in midfield and create that 4v3 mm-hmm. against the U.S.'s central three. And that was giving the U.S. A, a lot of problems because their biggest advantage, I think, in the first half for the majority of that first 45 was their pressure and not allowing the Netherlands to build. And that changed real quick towards the end of the first half, the beginning of the second half. They broke through that space over and over again. I mean, there's these moments, there's one... Uh, in the 41st minute, and there's another one in the 54th minute, and several others that I didn't note. But those are the two specific ones. The 54th minute, that sequence, they build through midfield. They have an extra number tucked in there, and that's the goal sequence for the Netherlands. It doesn't directly relate to the goal because the Netherlands are able to establish possession higher up the field. But it leads to the opportunity that the Netherlands have to establish possession mm. in the final third and get Medima on the ball at all. So the tide was changing for me. And so maybe the idea with Vlatko and these subs is – okay, we need to change it back and quick. I, hindsight is really beneficial here. I, I don't think I would have made all three of these changes, but there's also a real reason why I'm not coaching this team. So I don't know. <laughs> no, Joe, I think, and I think that that is like a distinction worth drawing, that there's, there's two distinct substitutions here. There's the triple change in the 58th. And if you look at who comes on, Alex Morgan, Rose Lavelle, Kristen Press, again, to reiterate. And it's Sam Mewis, it's Carly Lloyd, and it's Lynn Williams coming off. I think Sam Mewis had had a couple of those moments. She gets the goal, and 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 she. I think it's a better performance from her. But as that half wears on and into the second half, I saw a few of those. I'm not supposed to say the word is what Ted Lasso has taught me, but she has a few more of those passes that go to no one or are five yards under hit. There's one where the I think Arlo White and Julie Foudy were criticizing Abby Dahlkemper for getting dusted by Van de Sanden in a 1v1, but that happens because the ball goes to Sam Mewis. She goes to control it, and it megs her. It goes between her legs, and now it's a 1v1 that Dahlkemper isn't expecting. And so I think at that point, maybe it's tired legs. Maybe you just need to get that intensity back. So I understand making that change. I honestly understand why you're swapping out Carly Lloyd for Alex Morgan because Lloyd fought really well and worked really hard, but I think, again, if you're trying to have the intensity from that front line making the Dutch uncomfortable and forcing them back, I think at that point Carly Lloyd is maybe a bit fatigued and Alex Morgan offers more of that vertical threat. And then I was sad it was Lynn Williams going off, but I think, because I thought she, she what, creates one goal and scores the other or has the ball in and then had the ball in that is headed off the post. I thought she was immense. But going back to what we've already talked about, the defensive responsibility and positional fluidity of, of Tobin Heath, I think, is harder to replicate. So it made sense to me why you take Lynn Williams off and put on like an out-and-out winger with pace, and now you've got Press and Morgan who can kind of combine, stretch that back line. It's really the Rapino addition that, that I think disrupts things for me because Rapino at that point comes on, Heath is off, Press moves to the other side. And then it's just an out-and-out out front three. It might even be the exact front three we saw start against Sweden. I can go back in my notes and look. But I think that did not work very well, as we know. And I think that front three did a 
better job for the most part of tracking back defensively. But I do think they started to do that thing where the front three would be very tight and over on one side. And when the Dutch could play out of that, that left tons of space. And it's what I already said earlier and what we said during the Sweden game. Then it's Crystal Dunn having to defend the entire left side by herself. And people have to scramble and sprint back. And I think the more that happens, the more the United States, instead of being aggressive in their attack and pushing the Dutch back, they get more conservative. Because suddenly the Dutch have had two or three open opportunities. We can't let that happen. We got to sit back off. We got to kind of contain this. And then you're playing reactive soccer. And I think that's kind of how the rest of the game went from there. It's a big shift in balance for the U.S. Mm -hmm. in that second half. They really do go from being on the front foot for large stretches of the first half to sitting deeper. And Taylor, I, I think that's a really good observation. They get pinned back. And when you get pinned back, so often it's hard to break forward. And credit to the Netherlands for the work that they did in that second half. But some of it did feel self-inflicted, like that that penalty that the Netherlands win uh, later on in the second half after Kelly O'Hara crashes into an opponent in the box and it's a penalty that Alyssa Nair saves. That sequence comes from, you know, Megan Rapino not necessarily tracking back entirely on that side and then not being able to deny the cross. And it's a you lot just, of you, defensive. You described that really well, Joe. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, it is, it is exactly what you said. She sort of tracks, but then is sort of slow initially and then is pace-wise slower than the player she's tracking, so she yeah. can't really you, close that down. She makes an effort more than she did previously, though. You could kind of see the attacker look up and be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to take her on. <laughs> and that you don't get that look from the attacker if that is really any of the U.S.'s other wide players. So it's a trade-off. It, everything mm-hmm. in soccer is a trade-off. And this this sub from Flacco is a trade-off because Rupino did some really nice stuff on the ball. Yeah. And she was maybe the brightest attacking individual as the U.S. is pushing for that game winner late in regulation. She has a nice moment uh, where she's driving at a defender and then gets a shot off from that left side of the box. She has other nice moments on the ball, but it's it's a trade-off that didn't necessarily actually pay off for the U.S. in this game. And I think there was times, especially when those those players first got in, that they're they almost were like told to you could tell they were told to defend, defend, defend and 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 get into good defensive moments that they there was one point I have in the 68th minute, there was an attack by the, the Netherlands and they ended up getting a couple of turnovers from the U.S. in their attacking half. So they kind of pinned the U.S. in. But there, I looked and there was seven or eight players for the U.S. almost along the back line. And one of those players was Kristen Press. And then the ball pops out to a midfielder, which if she's in... You know, in a good defensive shape, but not so overcommitted. If she's in that space, I think you mitigate the attack from then getting to the outside where um, Bierenstein, how do you say her name? I think, yeah, that was good. She was good, too. Bierenstein just slips through the back line because there was so much space on the ball for Vandendonk in front of the back line about 10, 15 yards in front of that line of seven or eight players for the U.S. So I think there was some overcommitment, too, to those defensive responsibilities, which I guess is a good sign because then you're listening and trying to you know help out defensively. But, um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a little strange. And, and, Jordan, I'm glad you spotlighted that because you said that was, what, the 68th minute? Mm-hmm. I think uh, two minutes before that, it's after Rapino comes on, Kristen Press switches to the side where Tobin Heath was. The reason why I think I was like, I don't know if this is going to be a good idea, and then instantly felt like we're going to have some problems here, is that it's Kristen Press essentially still playing as a winger in the 66th minute. 
and she's she's high up and and it's the sort of hybrid US winger where she's like one of that tight front three and the ball goes wide to the Dutch left and you can hear Vlatko in that moment screaming Kristen help us because she is mm. starting to make that defensive run and then realizes like oh there is no one over there and then she does the full sprint and i think from that point starts to be more cautious and that probably gets to what you're talking about in the 68th and so just that sort of like having to figure it out on the fly isn't the worst thing as long as you then figure it out and then kind of grow into the game. And I think where I, I, I am at this point is that I I think I came into this thinking it was more of an individual issue, that like the Rapino sub didn't work because she's not going to do certain things you need her to do on the defensive side. But if you know that and you're the manager who – and maybe she, maybe he did ask her to do more, but I think – I think I'm more inclined to believe at this point that it's it's she is brought in to do that sort of attacking assignment to do that attacking work and it requires other people changing the way they're playing to allow for that or to accentuate that and if you haven't done that then I think it does kind of fall back to some of the decisions made by the coach that you can't have three players playing a certain type of attacking game and then one of those players also doing a certain type of defensive game but then the rest of the team doing something else and I think that's where the the just disjointedness of this kind of game came to be. I would also point out that uh, for the penalty, the ball in, it's Megan Rapino just getting chopped real, real hard. She is not a defender. She is many, many things. I wouldn't say a 1v1 defender is one of them. Yeah, that second half, there really is a whole combination of issues for the U.S. We've talked about the defensive shape. We've talked about some of the individual defensive vulnerabilities. Again, I want to give credit to the Netherlands. I think they apply much more aggressive pressure. Yeah. In that mm-hmm. second half, and we've seen in this tournament, the U.S. at times wilts under that pressure. They wilted under pressure against Sweden and didn't really move the ball forward into dangerous attacking areas in most of that game, the opening game of this tournament. I'd say the same thing uh, applies to the second half of this game and extra time as well. The, the Netherlands pressure really did fluster the United States. And the other big trend I was noticing, and I wish I, I had the stats for this, but going off of the eye test, it felt to me like the U.S., won so many fewer second balls and so many fewer balls in midfield as the game wore on, which is why I really was okay with the Lavelle sub. She doesn't bring a ton of of energy and a ton of... She brings energy. She doesn't bring a ton of strength in midfield to win a lot of those balls, but she has mobility to get around and clean up and buzz around in midfield and win those... those uh, pick, up, pick up those balls. And yeah. it felt to me like... The U.S. just didn't have enough of that in the second half. Their biggest asset, the press, and and winning those duels early on had faded and then become a liability as they were getting overloaded in central midfield. The Netherlands were playing forward, and then when they did force the Netherlands long, the U.S. wasn't cleaning up nearly as many of those loose balls in midfield. And that made it really hard for them to collect the ball and then go and attack in transition, which really was going to be where the the last goal, the third goal, if the U.S. was ever going to get it. It was almost certainly going to have to come in a transition moment or some sort of manufactured aggressive possession that really just didn't end up happening. That was the question I was going to ask you, Joe. Do you feel like they were better? You wanted them to commit to a style of play, right? And one of those Uh, styles was winning the second balls and winning those duels in, in the midfield. And I feel like you explained that pretty well where it was like there at moments, um, but not consistently to allow them to play the the style that they, you felt like was what they were trying to do this game. It's just, it's so frustrating to me in a lot of senses because this team is so incredibly talented. And yet the first five minutes of this game, the Netherlands are sitting back in that 4-2-3-1 mid block. The U.S. have the ball and it's chipped hopeful long ball forward from one center back, chipped hopeful long ball forward from another center back. And the U.S. have all this possession and they look like they want it in some ways, but they're moving the ball so slowly 
and they're not really doing mm-hmm. anything with it. And then the game sort of shifts and allows them to shift their own attacking identity to become more direct and take advantage of moments like you highlighted earlier, Jordan, where the Netherlands' defensive shape wasn't as compact, where the attackers were stretched, and there was this big gap between them and the back four in the midfield too, the double pivot. And the U.S. actually did a good job of taking advantage of those moments, but then it faded in the second half, and it faded an extra time, and they never really looked threatening. They never really threatened to get that game winner, that third goal. And man, they are very, very fortunate. Great result, but I think they're very fortunate to have hung on in this game not concede that third goal and, and win this thing on penalties because still with the ball, they don't look consistently dangerous in terms of getting to goal and actually putting the ball in the back of the net. Joe, I'm counting that as you uh, praising Julie Ertz that opening like <laughs> couple minutes there because did I already say what she said? I think I referenced that you could hear her shouting some commands, maybe instructions, whatever you want to go with. But did I, did I say specifically what she said? Because it I relates to what no, you just you didn't. said. No, yeah, go for it's it. It's in the sixth minute. It's when the U.S., it's exactly what you talked about. They've lost the ball. They've been a little bit too direct. And then they start to slow it down. And Lindsay Horan gets the ball, and she dribbles, and she dribbles, and she dribbles. And I think she gets challenged and sort of manages to maintain possession and plays it wide. And Julie Ertz very loudly says, we got to keep the ball moving, keep it to three touches. And from that point on, they start to move the ball. They start to get numbers closer together in tighter clumps. And you can move the ball much faster when you've got people 5 and 10 yards or 10 and 15 yards away as opposed to 20 to 30 yards away. And I think that did help the U.S. get get control of the game. I think as you start to make those changes and kind of people get pulled to one side or the other, that's when those gaps open up. That's when the Netherlands are able to kind of get that 1v1 attack down the channels. It's where they get a corner that leads to the goal that was disallowed. I was very confused why that goal was disallowed, by the way, for a moment, because uh, our commentators kept talking about uh, Berenstain being offside, and I didn't see her being involved, but... Very, very, and I was wondering why it took so long to review, and now I know it's because Martins is maybe her big toe offside. Mm-hmm. That's why that goal doesn't end up counting. So, U.S. gets away with one there, though I guess the Dutch got away with, what, four total with the U.S. scoring four <laughs> goals to the Dutch's one when it came to offside goals that didn't count. Um, and, and I think I almost, because I knew, I watched this on delay, I knew you both had finished, and when we got to maybe the 90... Ninth minute, I almost messaged you all to say, should I just go straight to the penalties, assuming that was what's going to happen? And I say that to ask you all, should we just go straight to the penalties? Or is there anything else we want to talk about from the first 120 minutes of this game? I just want to talk about the Netherlands for one second, because sure. you, you did just mention something that I think they did really well, is when Juilliard said, let's play quickly, right? Three touches. You can go back to, I didn't even, I didn't write down the timestamps in this game, but there were so many moments. Yep. That the Dutch players were just, they, they overloaded so well and they played off of each other. And it was like some beautiful football, just little intricate passes to, to pull players into the right side and then find uh, a center midfielder and maybe go out the other side. I, I thought that they, um, their movement off the ball to support mm-hmm. the player on the ball, there was options left, right, and center. And that's really, you know, those, they, they look like they were surrounding players in such a, a nice way. And when you're talking about what this game and like how it can make you happy, those moments really make me happy just to see them, you know, whatever team it is, pass in that way. Um, and I, I had mentioned in the last game, I felt like the U.S.'s movement off the ball needed to increase. And they had some really good passing moments because the movement off the ball, a lot of that being Tobin Heath, I think, in the first half, f- filling in those gaps. Um, you know, it's not that it's not there. And I feel like 
I'm just curious why they aren't doing that a little bit more often, why it is so direct. And um, like Joe said, maybe this is their their style of play and I need to get with it. But I, I don't know. I expect more from them because I know that they can do that. And I'm with you, especially because it seemed like the Dutch were doing what the U.S. wanted to do, because we've talked previously about the kind of rotations of mm-hmm. a, a central midfielder going wide, a wide player coming central. And what I saw the Dutch do, especially when trying to build out of the back, was almost like the the hook and ladder from from American football of like playing the ball maybe 15 or 20 yards vertically to a player who had checked away, checked two. But then, Jordan, to your point, there's a runner off the ball who then makes a run into space to be in a supporting position for that ball to be dropped back first or second time. Mm -hmm. And then that player pings the ball 20 yards up the field, and there's another player who receives it, but there's another player who showed into space. And it really was this, like, forward and then diagonal backwards and then forward and diagonal backwards working its way up the pitch. And by contrast, I think the U.S., tried to do that sometimes, but other times were content to just sort of play it down the line and hope somebody was making a run or try to test that back line on occasion. And I think the the difference in approaches allowed the Dutch to gain more control and I think feel more comfortable and the U.S. to basically feel more and more like we got to make something happen. Mm-hmm. And so it goes back to me feeling like if, if this were going to end in regulation or if it were going to end after the uh, extra time period, it was going to be the Dutch winning, but I'm not surprised then that when we go to penalties, it ends up being the United States because this team has been, from the start of this one, a team that felt to me like, we know we're the best team in the world, we have that confident swagger, and I think it's part of why they sometimes attack with such bluntness because it's just like, against other teams, this works. We will overload you, we will get people in front of goal, and we will score a bunch of goals. And I think when you have some of the best takers in the world standing what eight yards away from the goalkeeper and now or 12 yards and now they've got like all the time in the world to pick their spot and finish calmly i think that's why you see the u.s go four for four and the dutch go two for four they're well taken penalties yeah they, are. they really are well taken penalties rose lavelle alex morgan Kristen press megan rapino they they pick their spots really well and they took them exceptionally well and they just did not give the netherlands a chance in that shootout and obviously Credit to Alyssa Nair and, and the work that she put in. And I think I was happy for her at redeeming herself slightly. Yeah. I know she was really late to see that ball on, on, was it, shoot, was it the first Medima goal or the second one? I can't remember. The second now. one. Second the one. second one. Yeah. She's late to see the ball and may, maybe she could have gotten there. Uh, I'm, I feel like she could have gotten there, but she comes up real big, saving the penalty mm. that the Netherlands have in regulation, which was a poorly taken penalty, but still. And then putting in work in this shootout, and I, I don't know. It was kind of a nice little short redemption arc from her. Also, she made a huge save in the second half where she was, like, fully extended. Oh, yeah. I, I can't remember who shot it. Now I should have written that down. But that, I mean, that probably goes in on a lot of goalkeepers. And it was, you know, she did have a lot of big saves that were in key moments. And as you mentioned, Joe, that was a... A tough one to see. I think she she probably expects herself to get to that one, the second one from Mitama. But man, that that big save, the penalty save, the two PKs in the shootout. Uh, goodness gracious, Alyssa Nair. The last thing she wants is like attention on her because she's just not <laughs> that type of person. But man, all the attention should be on her. She was phenomenal. She has she has a big save. I'm not sure if this is the one that you're referring to, Jordan, but she has a sprawling save to deny the Miedema header in the 103rd minute, and that mm-hmm. was when really that was after the disallowed yeah. goal for the Dutch. It seemed like they were getting sort of complete control of the game, so that's such a massive save there. Mm-hmm. And then 
to make those two big saves in the shootout. Uh, I would say, I would note that I think all three of her saves in this game were because the Dutch put the ball in the exact same spot. Uh, the two she saves in the shootout, the one she saves in regulation, are basically in the same area. Joe, you said that they were poorly taken, and I know what you mean, but for people who are new or maybe less familiar with the penalty shootout, what was it about them that you didn't like? Well, so in a shootout, Really, and Jordan's much more qualified to speak on this than I am, but logically... Uh, than both you, of us. Let's make that real quick. <laughs> okay. yeah. You want to put the ball in a corner. You want to put the ball either high and in a corner, or you want to put it low and in a corner. And sometimes you can outsmart the goalkeeper and, and toss in a cheeky panenka, like a nice little chipped shot centrally or, or whatever the situation is. But a lot of times, players, when when they take a poor penalty, it has to do with them not actually reaching the corner with the ball. And a couple of the Netherlands penalties in this game didn't quite get to the corner. Either that or they were like mid-height, where the goalkeeper doesn't actually have to dive all the way down or all the way up. They can just launch themselves and stay kind of mid-height, chest-height, and just make that parallel dive with the ground. And it's not it's not as hard as it could be. You want to make the goalkeeper's job as hard as it possibly can be for them. And the Netherlands, I don't think, did a great job of that with their penalty kicks in this game. Yeah, power and placement. Those are the two things that you want. Sum it up, Jordan. Two yeah. or three words. It took me yeah. eighty-seven seconds. <laughs> Power and placement. Those are the two things. And I, I often go back and forth thinking which one is more important, right? Um, because in in the women's game, sometimes if you have an, enough power, you can, and it's not perfectly placed, you still can beat the goalkeeper on a in a you know not the ones that you were guys were talking mm-hmm. about were not did not get hit with power at no. all. Hmm. And the placement was not, that's what Joe was talking about. The placement isn't there. So I think that, um, you, if you have really, really good placement, you can beat them without power. It, if you have good power, you can meet, beat them without great placement. So you have to really nail one of them. If you nail both of them, you're scoring a PK every time. Yeah, and I would say the U.S., uh, Alex Morgan and Kristen Press both, they have power behind them, but that, to your point, Jordan, is when you pick your spot Mm -hmm. and you hit it with a a good amount of power, you're not crushing it, but if you hit it with a bit of power but you're putting it low or in the exact spot you want it to go, that's how you finish those calmly. I would say for the Dutch, what I noticed, because I think I do err on the side of uh, placement over power, Yeah. uh, and I thought, I think it was uh, Noen, when she, the final miss, she does like it's not even a stutter step. It's that lunge step that's designed oh. to make the goalkeeper dive one way or the other, and then you pass the opposite direction. Nair, for her for her part, to her credit, doesn't really move, and then Nowen has completely lost all of her momentum because she's done that kind of stab jump step, and then she's essentially having to pass across her body, and she's never going to be able to get nearly the power you need, and she's also not going to be able to get the accuracy of that placement. So, again, really good work by Nair, but I think that's where we see the difference in the U.S., as as uh, Arlo White said, has practiced penalties every single session, and when Megan Rapino steps up to hit that last one, and he mentioned that she spends like the final period of time after practice every single time practicing her penalties it felt like she was going to take it i wasn't ready for her to bury it top corner the way she did (laughs) but uh yeah well taken from all four of the u.s takers and really just very confident very emphatic i think they hit all four corners as well i think rose lavelle went vaguely top left uh we had megan rapino go top right we had alex morgan go bottom right uh from the taker side, the goalkeeper's left. And then Kristen Press went to the goalkeeper's right to Kristen Press's left. So, yeah, they really covered we, the goal. 
We needed the fifth just to see if they go straight down the middle. Right, right? down the middle. <laughs> that would be the way to do it. <laughs> it needed to be a Panenka down the middle. I wonder yeah. who, I mean, I'm a, I don't know. Would it have been Ertz? Who's your bet on who the fifth taker would have been? I feel like they lined up in order on the... Oh. I saw them, like, shuffling around. I'm like, weird. Why are they shuffling around on the midfield stripe? But then as they started to go, it looked like they were in order. So I can't remember now off the top of my head who the next player was. If someone has a screenshot of that, look and see. (laughs) Joseph, any thoughts from you on who you would have liked to be the fifth taker? Oh, as far as who... I mean, come on. We haven't given Julie Ertz maybe enough credit yeah. at this point. I, I mean, we've talked about her some, but she's so, so good. Maybe maybe you go Julie Ertz. There's plenty of players that I would feel really confident taking that penalty. But uh, Ertz was saucy in this game in addition to being defensively solid and in trying to combat overloads at times by herself. So, I don't know. Reward or give her that last penalty and win this whole darn thing. Jordan, in my experience with penalty shootouts, again, amateur level or like college a little bit, uh, it was you had kind of like three styles. You had the person who was like, yep, I'm taking one. I want one. They know they're taking one. You have the person who does not want to take one and sits out. And then there's the person, this is kind of where I tended to be, who's like, I- I'll take one. And you're sort of like, I guess I will. Like, can I go sixth? I think <laughs> was always me. my sort of, we, yeah, if you need me, I'm around, which is probably not the mentality you want. Uh, if you were taking a penalty, which one of those were you or were you something else entirely? I wanted to take a penalty. There we I go. knew I that was going to be what I you said. That was the <laughs> in the, in, when I was with the 20s at the World Cup, I took penalties in both of our, our penalty shootouts, and I made both of them. And, and what is, like, the approach in that moment? Do you have, like, does the team have a fairly good idea of who the takers will be? Is it sort of, like, you have a vague idea, but then maybe one of them says, never mind, I don't want one, and somebody else says, I do want one? Like, how how does that process tend to play out? Yeah, and you have to think about who's on the field, right? If Carly Lloyd oh, was yeah. still on the field, and Tobin, I mean, they're they're in that mix, too, um, especially at that level. I think I think you know at that point you probably have a good sense of the number of players that you could put out there. And and I would imagine with this group, it's most of them, right? Most of them <laughs> could feel fairly confident stepping up there and uh, putting taking a penalty if if their name was called. But, um, yeah, I think it just depends on the team and the moment and who's on the pitch. But, uh, yeah, we've seen that a, a couple of times this summer in big games. So And even these quarterfinals, I know Canada went to penalties with Brazil. I didn't catch them, but... Yeah, there's there's always those different groups of players you're going to step up and some that are like, oh, I'm ready if you need me. <laughs> it was it was Lindsay Horan, by the way. Just it so was. You guys know. Lindsay okay. Horan was number five. Okay. How, how did you find that? Did you look at the photo? I looked back at the game, yeah, and scrolled through it on my phone. And did they look? <laughs> were they lined up that way? Yep. No, yeah. Jordan, you were spot on. It was Lavelle and then Morgan, then Press, and then uh, Rapino. Shoot, then I closed the, the screenshot. Rapino, then Horan, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that means the United States with the win in penalties, uh, I think, given that it's the team that they beat 2-0 in the Women's World Cup final, like I do feel slightly better that this was the team who were clearly up for it, clearly had the confidence. They are, I believe, the reigning European champions. And 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 so it's less distressing that it would have been if like New Zealand had taken the U.S. to penalties. No disrespect to New Zealand, but they're not in the competition anymore. Uh, and so I think though we've spotlighted some concerns, and I still have worries about if the U.S. gets too crowded on one side or gets pushed to one side. I think overall, 
it was an incredibly stressful, anxiety-inducing game, but the U.S. getting the result, getting through to the next round, is really the thing that matters if it stops there or if the U.S. doesn't end up going that much further or if they end up getting knocked out because of some of the issues we've identified, then maybe I'll have more concerns. But for right now, I'm just pretty pleased that the U.S. is still alive and still around. Yeah. And you just mentioned New Zealand and Allie Riley of the Orlando Pride, and she's on the New Zealand national team, tweeted out like, so our group was kind of hard, yeah? Right. Because uh, Canada, United States, and uh, – or sorry, Australia was in there. Wait, yep. why am I thinking Canada? Uh, because they're the only one that wasn't. U.S., Australia, Sweden, and Sweden. Canada. Sweden, gosh. The I was like, wait, it's not it's not Canada. I know it was three of the four teams. Um, <laughs> it yeah, feels like that, Canada's always in our group, right, to be fair. Can, I, I've yeah. already got the next game on my mind. That's what's happening. <laughs> um, yeah, really, really strong group, which can help you going into yep. the knockout rounds in a lot of ways. So, um, yeah, I feel the same way as you do, Taylor. There's a good Netherlands team, and that's what yeah. you want in these tournaments, right? You want the best teams to advance and to have these good quality games. I still just do think that there are some things that can tighten up for the United States, and hopefully that's the, you know, they scored goals, which we really hadn't seen them do a, a lot of, minus that New Zealand game. They were shut out in two games, so it was good to see them score goals, and that should bring some different type, a different type of confidence to them, and to know that they can go into penalties and and win. That is a definite confidence builder for sure. Winning in the shootout, uh, so we will have the semifinal USA versus Canada on August second. I believe that's Monday. Yep. Uh, that's at five p.m. local time. Today's game was at 8 p.m. local time. So does that mean it's a 4 a.m. kickoff for the USA and Canada if we're watching on the East Coast? Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, boy. All right. Well, before <laughs> that happens, my final question for you both, uh, I will ask it and then I'll stall for time so you all have a moment to think. Uh, what would you like to see either – would you like it to be the same team with the same approach? What would you like to see different against Canada? Would you like to see the lineup change, individual players, or just the overall approach or style? Uh, anything at all that you'd like to be different? We'll start with Joe. I've I've given up on the U.S. tactically overhauling themselves and really right. picking a path for 90 or 120 minutes. It just it's not realistic at this point with two two games max left in this tournament. So I'd like to see a, a really similar lineup, especially regarding that front three. I think you need as much defensive solidity, and it's not like it's not like the drop off from Tobin Heath and Lynn Williams attacking wise is that great from Megan Rapinoe and Kristen Press. These are all very capable wingers in an offensive sense. And so I, I think you want to continue to prioritize defensive cover. And so I would roll with, if not the same 11, a very similar 11. But I, I'd certainly keep Tobin Heath in that starting lineup after the work she put in uh, in her time in this game. And I'd probably keep Lynn Williams, if not Lynn Williams and Kristen Press as that uh, that right winger. I'm with you, Joe. I, I'm, I feel like Carly Lloyd, if she starts, will have a better time against this Canadians team. Um she knows him very well. I think she can play in between the lines a little bit better than she did here today and connect the lines. Um, I don't know if I change anything. The only change that I maybe would – do you play Lavelle over Mewis would be my mm. potential one change. Um, but I wouldn't be disappointed if it was the same 11. Yeah, I, I think I think I'm surprised to agree with you both, to be honest, because yeah. I, I did feel like going into this one, there was a lot that needed to change or some people just hadn't impressed. I think part of that is like, I don't know if Alex Morgan did a markedly better job than Carly Lloyd did when she came on. So I think I'm with you when it goes to experience and maybe Carly Lloyd has that 
that chip on the shoulder now. Uh, it is also a Canada team that also went to penalties after uh, going nil-nil in regulation and extra time. It's a weird world where uh, Christine Sinclair and uh, Vivian Miedema both missed their penalties in the shootout, but Canada able to uh, to rebound from that one and get the result. So I think I'm with y'all that mostly I wouldn't mind if it's the same starting 11. I love Sam Mewis, but I think it's probably going to be a physical game, and that does benefit having Haran and Mewis in the middle together. But Joe, to your point, I think if you want to control the game more so than just fight for 50-50s, I think Rose Lavelle does give you more control in the middle. So I yeah. think I would mm-hmm. like to see Rose Lavelle start, but otherwise, mostly I'm okay with things as they are. And yeah. Lavelle, Lavelle just brings a little bit more creativity in terms of yep. ball progression, and, and she is the most number 10-like player from a central midfield standpoint that the U.S. has. And so I think bringing her in could work if you think, okay, we're going to have some of the ball. We can play through Rose Lavelle a little bit and then move forward. So, I mean, it's a big if, but I, I could see that change happening. Yeah, and wow. just her and Heath would be fun to watch because Heath, yeah. Heath yeah. plays in that same role where then you're almost overloading that that middle part of the field and creating a triangle underneath Carly Lloyd with the outlet of Lynn Williams. I don't know. Maybe a good look. <laughs> well, we will see what the United States does against Canada very early on Monday morning, <laughs> East Coast time. But the three of us will be back. I'm assuming. I hope you can both make it because this has been fun as always. And I really enjoy getting to break these games down with you all. Not just because it's fun to talk about soccer, but because I love watching a game, rewatching it, and then being able to kind of break it down and figure some things out. That's my favorite part of doing the show is coming away with like, OK, I feel like I understood that more because before I felt confused. So, Jordan, thank you for helping me feel uh, less confused than I did at the start. (laughs) Yeah, this is fun. Thank you, guys, because I feel like we all see different things, and it's cool when they line up, and it's cool also when we get a different perspective. So this has been great. Thanks for having me. Yay, I agree. And, Joe, thank you for helping me feel better about the USA's win, which is a silly thing (laughs) to say. You got it, Taylor. Thanks for having me. Listeners, you made me feel better, too. Uh, Don't worry about that. And we will talk to you all very soon. 